Good morning, and welcome to the sanctuary of Cornerstone Assemblies of God. I am Pastor Richard T. Wade, and I would like to say thank you for joining us today. I pray the Word of God can speak to you, and the Holy Spirit make it real to you. Now, a pre-recorded message from Cornerstone Assemblies of God. I have some questions to pose to you today. These are not my questions. I did not come up with these questions. Tuesday morning in a place of prayer, the Lord posed these questions to me. And instructed me to pose these questions to you so that you can ask yourself these questions. And answer these questions, probably not this morning. The reason I tell you probably not this morning, because do not answer them hastily. Do not answer them with what you think the answer should be. Take time and pray and hear the voice of the Father within you answer these questions pertaining to you. See, today with Scripture, I'm going to show you what the ideal situation is. And then I pray that these questions will reveal to us the reality of the situation. That way we can understand what we need to do to arrive to the ideal situation. This morning, I want to make clear to you that was made clear to me, I have a job to do. As the pastor of this church, as the overseer and shepherd, under-shepherd of Christ Jesus of this flock, and even standing in an apostolic function for this region, I have a job. I have a task set before me. It is the most important task, second only to being the priest of my home. That's a message to come because it's for men and women. You hear priest and you think man. And if you are single, it is a man or a woman. But if you are married, it is the two of you together because the two become one. And we have a mandate from God to be the priest of our home. So second to that call for me personally, I have this. You can write this down. I believe it would be beneficial for you as well. But here are the three highlights, bullet points, whatever you want to call it, of my job, my calling. It is my responsibility to help you And to train you to, number one, focus on your calling. I have to be a voice of focus. When I hear that you are talking about things or doing things that are a distraction to your calling, I'm going to start calling you on it and I'm doing it in love. When I look you in the eye and I say, is that really what God has asked of you? It's not that I'm beating you up or being mean-spirited. I have a responsibility to make sure you stay focused on your calling. Number two is that I train you how to fight for your calling. Say, well, you're saying calling. I don't feel called to the ministry. You may not be called to the ministry as far as an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. But you're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. We're all called to tell somebody about Jesus. We're all called to be mothers and fathers to our children and grandparents to our grandchildren. We're all called to be an example to our co-worker. We all have a calling. So I must train you to fight for your calling because the enemy is fighting for your calling. If you're worth your salt (laughs) in the kingdom of God, know that the enemy is seeking whom he may devour for he has come but to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's his job. 
That's what processed all of this in prayer is if the enemy has a job and it is to steal, to kill, and to destroy, what is my job as the under-shepherd? To teach you, to help you stay focused on your calling. To train you to fight for your calling. And then number three is the hard part. To cultivate within you internal values that help you support your calling. See, we've got to know what we value. We have to have core values that support our calling or either we're putting value on things that are distracting us from the calling. It's my job to help. I can't do all of this. I'm not God. Obviously, with the help of the Holy Spirit, these things are taking place. But my job, sometimes people say, what does the pastor do? Well, Ephesians 4 tells us that we are to equip the saints for the ministry. Oftentimes, we think the preacher is the only one that can visit the sick. The preacher is the only one that can pray. The, the, the preacher, it's his job. It's his job. It's his job. No, it's my job to train you how to do it. That's actually my job. Does that mean I don't do it? No, I do those things too. But it's, that's not my job. See, we get the job description mixed up. We think the job description is the preacher just to do A, B, and C. But no, the job of the preacher is to train you to do A, B, and C. I didn't know what Brother Jesse was saying this morning, and I was glad the Lord confirmed it. So this morning, I want us to look in the Scripture and ask ourselves some questions. I'm really excited about the future. I say, well, you don't look it. Well, it's because I'm still processing. I probably shouldn't have preached for about three more Sundays, to be honest. I probably should have had my three days of spiritual intensiveness. <laughs> and then I probably should have had three weeks in a cabin by myself to process what all I received in the three days. Just being honest with you. Not that I'm trying to shy away from doing my job. But I want to do my job and do it well. The Lord made some absolute divine connections in this week I'm so excited about. I love it when the Lord opens a door before you that you've wondered if it would ever open. So, evangelist, listen. I learned something this weekend. And everybody else, I learned something this weekend. When it's time for you to walk through a door, God will open it before you. <laughs> I have beat myself to a pulp wondering if this door is ever going to open. God give you a glimpse of a vision and you think, oh, I know where God's taking me. And he has shown you a glimpse of a vision of things to come, but he hadn't give you step 179. And so you just remain faithful. And you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and just keep staying the course. Say that, say, okay, yeah, but when? I don't know. When that door opens? Well, when's that door going to I don't know when that door's going to open. But I'm telling you, when the Lord opens the door, there's no question. There's no, I wonder if this is God. No, it really does open before you and the light shines through it. And you do have that oh, moment that, that, that happens. It does. Because thank the Lord, finally, after 16 years, let that soak in, folks. 16 years of ministry. I believe I finally experienced a moment of a taste of what could be the beginning of what the Lord showed me a decade ago. So I've got some questions for you this morning. If you would, please stand and let's read 
The Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 16 through 19. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 16 through 19. So the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Jesus answered them, My father is working still, and I am working. So the Jews sought even more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, likewise the Son does. Four questions that I want to pose to you out of this passage. Four questions. Reading this passage to you once more. Really uh, looking at verse 17 when Jesus begins to speak. And so the Lord is working and he's doing things on the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders of that day really are bent out of shape because he's doing stuff he's not supposed to. Quite frankly, nowhere in the law does it say that the Lord can't minister on the Sabbath day. It says for them to not labor on the Sabbath day and to consider the ministry of the work as labor is a wrong view of the ministry of the Lord because it's not me that's doing it it's the Lord who is doing it through me and God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it and wherever he wants to do and to think that he is bound by a day of Sabbath that he's the one who created that day in the first place how you not going to do nothing on the Sabbath day and the Sabbath day what until you created it Yes, he rested on the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was his to begin with. And so they are persecuting Jesus. They are wanting to kill him. They're calling for his head, excuse me. Well, this morning, I want us to really start in verse 17 and look at the words of Jesus. And through these words of Jesus, there are some things that we can see that we should be doing and some questions that I want to ask you. In verse 17, Jesus answered them, my father is working still and I am working. Not a whole lot of words right there, but he said a whole mouthful. I want you to look at two statements in this one. My father is still working. And I'm working with him. Those are the two statements in this one statement. So therefore, here are the first two questions that I have for you. The first two things I want to show you. Jesus understood that the father is always working. We sang the song Miracle Worker and we sang the bridge. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. Even when I don't see it, he's working. You're working, you're working. Huh? Well, see, it's more than a song. It's an eternal truth. Is even when our circumstances don't look like it, God the Father is still at work in the situation. So Jesus had an understanding that the Father is always working. So question number one is no matter your circumstances, do you know that the Father is always working? Do you know that? I didn't ask you, do you believe it? Do you know it? Do you know that the Father is always working no matter the circumstance. That's question number one. Second statement, Jesus says, and I'm working with him. So here's the second thing I wanted to look at. Jesus chose to be responsible to join the Father. 
he realized he knows my father is always working and I choose the responsibility to work with him. So this morning, the second question I want to pose to you, I told you I've only got four and y'all are thinking, well, are we already done? No, I got something else to say. Have you made the choice to join the Father in what He's doing? That's question number two. Have you made the choice to join the Father in what He is doing? I'll give you the heart behind all of this after I've given you the questions. And then we skip down to verse 19. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, likewise the Son does. So the third statement I want you to see is where he says, the son can do nothing of himself. Jesus chose the position of dependence. Jesus chose a position of dependence. So here's my question. This is third question. Have you decided... To be dependent on the Father. Have you decided to be dependent on the Father? We'll move into number four. It goes on to say, but what he sees, what the Son sees the Father do, that is what he does. So the fourth thing is, is Jesus followed the present emphasis of the Father. So my question to you is, do you know the present emphasis of the Father? Ask me that a different way so I better understand it. Do you know what the Father is saying to you in this moment? Have you spent time in His presence to hear his voice, to know this is the emphasis. This is what's important in this moment. See, the thing is about this question is the answer to this question changes. The Father may be showing you one thing right now. And then once you've walked through it, once you've learned it, he chooses to show you something else. Do you know what the present emphasis is of the Father? Because Jesus is saying here, I'm only going to do what the Father's doing. Well, you can only do what the Father's doing if you know what the Father's doing. So the question is, do you know what the Father's doing? So I'm going to ask these four questions to you again to make sure you've got them. If you're taking notes, I thank you for taking notes. I really want you to ask yourself these questions in a place of prayer. Because I believe that as we receive the answers to these four questions for our individual lives, there will be something dispersed in the corporate setting. Number one, no matter your circumstance, do you know the Father is working? Say it again. No matter your circumstance, do you know the Father is working? Number two, have you made the choice to join the Father in what He's doing? Number three, have you decided to be dependent on the Father? Number four, do you know the present emphasis of the Father? 
I'm smiling because I want to point something out to you. I asked these questions. The Lord asked me these questions in the order that they are brought to you in the word of God. And I thought about changing the order of how I asked them. But the Lord says, no, this is by design. You're going to have to make up your mind to be dependent on the Father before the Father ever tells you what He's doing. If you got to know what He's doing before you're dependent, you ain't never going to figure it out. Because He's looking for the obedience and the faith to say, God, I don't even know what you're doing, but I choose now to be dependent on you. I choose now that no matter what you're doing, I'm doing it. And then when that faith and that obedience is released, then he can say, oh, good, good. Now come, let me show you what we're doing. So have you decided to be dependent on the Father? That's question number three. Then number four, do you know what he's doing in this moment? Do you know what he's saying in this moment? This entire thought process, if you would, began with this word. Tuesday morning, I'm in prayer, seeking God. I'll flip back and read it to you. If you don't journal, start journaling. Write what the Lord's telling you. Yeah, this is my sermon notes, but this is journal too. That's why I'm always in this. And I've got several of these. And I just date them and stick them on the bookshelf. When I fill them up, I pull out another one. and I. So that's what this is. Journal. So that I can flip back to a place of prayer on the back of some notes I took. This is personal. This is private. But I'm going to share it with you. You must be the priest of your home. Implement family worship time. We pray and my kids know that we study the word. They see us study the word. They see us prayer. But God has given us talents and abilities and voice and musical instruments. And I don't use that at home. Yeah, I sit down at the piano and Allie sits down. Catherine sits down. But it's not structured. And the Lord has convicted me. I've given your family a talent. You construct a time to sit down and worship me. And this is my part. This is private. But even if the building doesn't sell. (laughs) God will provide Judgment begins in the house of God. And if your house is not in order, you can't lead others. 2024, judge the house. Get it in order. Then I will cause Cornerstone to flourish. A house divided will not stand. Beware of distractions. Unless you repent, Luke 13, 1 through 5, you all likewise will perish. Luke 13, 7 through 9, there's a reference of the fig tree. The Lord give this word to me. I even made it. This word is for RTW. It has now been three years, our time here at Cornerstone. Dig around their roots and disrupt their footing because it's not sure. And in the disruption, pour in my grace and my wisdom. Be clear with them. Make known truth to them. Until you take your place that I have prepared for you, I cannot teach them. I have destined you for the task. Give them this year, then judge the fruit. That's my personal private prayer time with the Lord. Tuesday morning. 
That's why we're starting here. Is because judgment begins in the house of the Lord. In the reference to if your house is in order, you can't lead others. Yes, the scripture gives that for an individual. But I will stand before you and say my house, my personal, my private home is not out of order. God was speaking to me pertaining to this house. And I'm the pastor. I'm the shepherd of this house. If you want to be the beacon of hope, if you want to be the city on a hill, if you want to be a testament and a leader in this region of the things of the Spirit, you can't do that. You can't be the spearhead of revival until this house is in order. Okay, Lord. <laughs> okay. So I believe the Lord has given us wisdom. In John 5, 16 through 19, because we see the heart of Jesus. And if he is our ultimate example, if he, right, is he not? Do we believe that, that Jesus is our example? then these are things that he made sure in himself as he knew that even in the midst of persecution and attack and people wanting to kill him physically, he realized and knew the Father was working. And he chose to join the Father in what he was doing. I know it's the Sabbath. I know I'm not supposed to do this kind of stuff. But I see the Father doing it, so therefore I'm going to do it. But what if the religious leaders don't like it? Who cares? What does the Word say? I won't give the source of where this came from, but I will share what I'm about to say. I'm going to share it with you because the Lord's given me permission. In this room of people I was with this last week, I was with general superintendents of our fellowship, assistant general superintendents. I was with district superintendents, past district superintendents, pastors of multi-site churches, pastors who had planted 30-something churches. <laughs> and apparently I'm vocal I didn't realize that about myself. They cracked jokes by Tuesday. Okay, Monday was day one. By Tuesday, Dr. Oni, he said, uh, Pastor Richard, if you'd come and just tell us what you think if you're able to do that. And then the whole place erupted in laughter. And so that night I told Pastor Cade, I said, have I been, I was like self-conscious. I'm being honest. I was like, have I been overly direct? I mean, I didn't realize I had been. He goes, dude, I think you've been very mild. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, well, praise the Lord. Well, my very mild obviously is clearly direct. And so I was sharing my concerns with things that I see within the church. Because here's the thing. When I'm preaching, when I'm teaching, as I do, and, 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 and stay with me here, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you somewhere. As I know I come across kind of hard-nosed, I know I come across direct and forward, but quite frankly, we don't have enough time to beat around the bush. And I have learned in raising my children, if I give an innuendo that there's an opportunity that they get to do what they want to, that's the only thing they hear that come out of my mouth. And so in teaching the word of God, I got to erase a lot of the gray area and allow the grace and mercy of God to define that area when the time arises. But in the, in the declaration of it, in the training of it, there is black and there is white and that's it. And, and, and so in doing so, People think, oh, he's, he sure does beat folks up. What about grace and mercy and getting people saved? Look, God didn't call me to be an evangelist. What? He didn't. For years, that's what I wanted to be, was the evangelist. I get to come into church, tear up stuff, stir it up, just carry on. <laughs> Let the pastor worry about it. That's what I wanted. 
But then what I realized when I truly looked at the definition of the office of the evangelist, that is one that calls forth for hope to come to Jesus. John the Baptist, that's what he wants. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that was the message. That's it. Now it gets wrapped up in all kinds of different packages, but the message is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. God has called me in the apostolic and the pastor. What they do. They train and they nurture. I deal with those that are already saved. Now, folks get saved under my ministry. I've led people to Jesus. But my message, whom God's called me to be, is not repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is you ought to know better because you said you were saved. Oh, you don't know better? Okay, well then let me teach you. How dare you call yourself a Christian and then not act like one? How dare you call yourself a man of God or a spiritual leader within the church and then you want to bellyache, moan, and complain about everything? You better suck it up and get on with the task. That's who God called me to be. (laughs) That was confirmed in me this week. I kind of felt it that was anyhow, but it was confirmed. I've had some things spoke over me before, but it was kind of in some cuckoo settings, and so I didn't always fully trust it. Because I didn't want to be a cuckoo. (laughs) But God took me to the mountaintop and gave me a mountaintop experience. And there wasn't no cuckoo in sight. And he confirmed the very word. So I said, hey, glory to God, this ain't cuckoo. I don't know what other word to use. That's just what it is. I didn't want to be one them. (laughs) Judgment begins in the house. And if we are going to get ourselves in order. We're going to have to truly ask ourselves these questions. And we, with the help of the Spirit of God, are going to have to come up with the answer to these questions. And then based on our answer, we will know where to go if you answer have you decided to depend on the father if the father shows you honestly you don't depend on me don't allow the enemy to beat you up rejoice in the fact that the father has revealed truth to you and now you know how to correct the situation because see that's what the enemy does he comes in to accuse the brethren oh here you are you thunder and now you done decided you can't even depend on the father Because quite frankly, none of us depend on him the way we should. I have answered these questions. We've got room for improvement. 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to read verses 12 through 9 to you. This is dealing with suffering of a Christian. Why am I bringing this to you, the suffering of a Christian? And we're talking about questions the Lord is asking us. Because I want to talk to you for a little bit today about even what it means to be a Christian. I want to talk to you for a little bit today to put to bed some of the foolishness that false doctrine has crept into the church with. Today I want to put to bed some things so that we can have a right understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus and we can have a right understanding of who our God is that we can truly know that He is working no matter the circumstance. 1 Peter 4 starting in verse 12. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you. As though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice in so far as sharing in Christ's suffering. So that you may rejoice and be glad in the revelation of his glory. For you are reproached because of the name of Christ. If you are reproached because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. Let none of you 
suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, even as a busybody. Wow. Ouch. In the same list of a murderer and a thief and an evildoer, so is the busybody. Mm. Well, <laughs> mm. verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him be not ashamed, but let him glorify God because of it. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins first with us, what shall the end be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? So then, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. That's a mouthful. So we started out here because the Lord told me judgment is to begin in the house of God. But I wanted to walk through this. Do you understand that troubles and difficulties are inevitable for the faithful followers? Do you realize that? That we all are in this ungodly world that is controlled by Satan and he is opposed to Christ's message? Do you realize that? Sometimes people think, well, why is God doing this to me? It ain't God that's doing it to you. There's two people that's probably doing it to you. One, yourself. And two, the enemy. That's where it comes from. It's not God. God does not tempt us. God's wrath isn't going to be poured out on us or either his word isn't true. Because one of the benefits of being saved is we're saved from the wrath of God. And so if God pours cancer out on me, that's the wrath of God. Well, God allows Satan to do it. Yeah and no. Oh, teach me. Let me do so. Thank you. I'm glad you asked me. Here's the thing. Does God know everything that happens? Yes, he does. Is God all powerful? Yes, he is. But here's where we lose our train of thought. Is what we are experiencing in this world, the physical situation of this world, was put in order before any of us ever walked on this earth. And God is so just that he don't even change the rules when he could benefit from it. This world is not redeemed. Your body is not redeemed. Your soul is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's the reason to be absent of this body is to be present with the Lord because I'm redeemed. But it's not until the meeting in the air that I receive the glorified body of God. So this body is not redeemed. This earth is not made new. Until after the millennial reign and final judgment, then the new heavens and the new earth come into play. Until this is purified by fire. It's not happened yet. So is God all-knowing? Yes, he is. Is God all-powerful? Yes, he is. But Satan is the ruler of this world. You mean God's subservient to him? Uh-uh. 
And absolutely not. God is God. And he is ruler and creator over all. But there's some rules that are already put into motion. And God is so just that even he won't change his rules. We can't understand that because we just change the playbook as it benefits us. That's why we have, you know, a constitution and all these amendments. Because <laughs> as we go down there, oh, yeah, we should have said that. Okay, we'll just amend it. Okay, cool. Oh, wait a minute. We ought to have another thought, so let's make an amendment. Oh, wait a minute. We just change the rule as we go. Make it sound official and call it an amendment to the Constitution. That's you change the rule. There are no amendments in the kingdom of God. He has declared and it went forth. That's the reason he knew this before the foundation. You can't wrap your mind around just how all-knowing God is. And then let me, let me put to bed this predestination mess. God has predestined one thing, that whosoever will, that they could come unto him. That's what he's predestined. Well, didn't you just say that God knows everything even before the foundation of the world? Well, just because he knew you was going to do it didn't mean he made you do it. He just knew you was going to do it. But if he knew my thoughts, well, yeah, he knew your thoughts, but we got free will. We're not little robots that's run around here programmed to think what God wants us to think. We got to bring our own mind into subject of his word. We got to transform our own mind through the washing of the word. So why do I get sick? Well, because I'm in a fallen world. Why does bad things happen to good people? Because we're in a fallen world. Why have I paid my tithe and lived a life living, pleasing unto God? I'm a person of prayer. I read my Bible. I witness to people. I do all the things that the book tells me I'm supposed to do, and I still get terminally ill. Why? Well, because you're still in a fallen body, and you're still in a fallen world. However, I believe that when you pray by faith, we can stand on the promise of the Word of God, he says that you can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He says to call for the elders to anoint with oil, to pray the prayer of faith, and the sick shall be saved. I believe it because he said it. But we need to understand that just because I'm having to walk through a trial or a tribulation doesn't mean that the wrath of God is upon me. Doesn't mean that God's trying to teach me something. Now, I believe God can teach us something. It's when he says, that which was meant for evil shall be turned to good for those who love him. He'll teach us something. He'll cause us to walk through the fire and not even smell like smoke. But you can't have the testimony of walking through the fire without the smell of smoke unless you walk through the fire. You can't get saved out of the belly of the well unless the well swallows you. You can't get saved out of the lion's den unless you get thrown in the lion's den. Oh, Lazarus couldn't be called to life if he didn't die. Huh? We need to understand that no matter the circumstances, the Father is at work. And we need to make up our own mind that we're going to join in on whatever work the Father is doing and that I'm going to be totally dependent upon Him and I'm going to make sure I'm spending enough time with Him that I know what it is that He's doing in this moment. Our sufferings should increase the depth and the strength of our joy. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, if you quote Paul or Brother Russell, whichever one, because they both say it the same amount of times. Rejoice! And again I say rejoice. Count it all joy, brethren, when you suffer various trials and tribulations. 
Well, if I get in the practice of rejoicing every time I go through a battle, I'm going to learn how to be happy by the time this life is over. Huh? <laughs> uh, glory. My joy is stronger because I've had to learn to rejoice even when it wasn't a joyous occasion. But see, joy in the midst of an unjoyous occasion comes easier when I have an understanding that while I don't fully understand it and I don't like the circumstances, I know that my Father is working. When I know He's working despite what's going on around me, it's easier for me to rejoice. And then when I learn how to rejoice in spite of the situation, then the peace of God that's going to guard my heart and mind, it just takes control. And then I can look death in the face and say, it is well with my soul. Huh? And judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And so we got to get some things set straight. Here's another question for you. Do you prefer the comforts of this world or the spirit of glory? Which one? I'm asking you the question because I've come to learn through the word of God and experience that you're probably not going to have both. Probably not going to have both. The Lord's going to ask you to sacrifice something. And if we're called to be in the world but not of the world, To come out from among them and be separate. Well, how do you come out from among the world yet have the comforts of the world? I haven't figured out how to lay my head on a pillow in which bed I'm not in. I'm going to say that again. I hadn't figured out how to lay my head on the pillow of which bed I am not in. And so if you are enjoying the comforts of the world, probably because you done crawled off into bed with it. So there's your fifth question of the day. Do you prefer the comforts of the world or the spirit of glory to rest upon you? I love hearing this passage where it says, if you suffer as Christians, be not ashamed. Well, so it was saying here, don't you dare suffer as a murderer and a thief and an evildoer. Don't even suffer as a busybody. But if you suffer as a Christian, be not ashamed. You may not know this, but I'm going to tell it to you so you will. The word Christian is only used three times in all of the New Testament. And it didn't start until Acts chapter 11, I believe it's verse 26, the church at Antioch were the first to be called Christians. In the beginning, Christian was meant as an insult. You know, like we would snarl our nose and say, you know, some of them holy rollers, some of them Bible thumpers. Well, the people around Antioch would say, oh, that's some of them Christians. Ugh. Some of them Christians. Because the name Christian suggests some things and Worship team, y'all go ahead and come back. We use the term Christian all willy-nilly. But it really doesn't have a willy-nilly definition. The name Christian is to suggest the name of our Redeemer. A deep and personal relationship with Christ. A devotion to Christ. This name is to suggest that we serve and obey him without reservations. Let me say that again. That we serve and obey 
without reservations because he is our eternal Lord. This name suggests that he is our Savior and that Christ is our supreme authority and that he is our only source of future hope. So, when you say, I'm a Christian, it shouldn't mean... I went to church one time and I have a head knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. But to say I'm a Christian is that I have a personal relationship with the eternal God and King Christ Jesus. I have made up in my mind that I am going to serve Him no matter what. I have made up in my mind that he is the only hope of the future. I I have made this statement myself, and as I'm sure many of you in this room have made this statement in pertaining to these younger generations, I know of which I am one. I just don't have a whole lot of hope for the future with these kids we got coming up. Oh, I don't have much hope in the future. Praise God. Maybe God can finally do something with you. Because your hope of the future ought not be in no man. The hope of your future ought to be in Christ and Christ alone. Quite frankly, I got to thinking and praying here recently. And the Lord got to convicting me, Sister Leah, of just how much stock I was putting in some of these politicians' economic plans. Some of their foreign policies and all these things. Because the Spirit of God just, just, I'm talking about, He just, He consumed my being in that moment. And He says, You really consuming your time trying to learn what their foreign policy and their economic policy is? And I'm telling you that I am the future. I am the hope of your future. And that if you walk with me, no matter the circumstance, I am working on your behalf, that you can enter into covenant with me and be fully dependent on me and whether we are a free nation or not he is still God over all he is still seated in heavenly places and I'm right there with him whether we're a free country or not I'm still free because whom the son is set free is free indeed I'm just starting to figure it out that no matter the circumstances, I understand that my God and my Father is well at work and I choose to join in with Him and do the work that He's doing no matter what's going on. What if it's illegal? Who cares? Y'all might not realize this, but I broke the law already in 23. I preached the word of God and I prayed in the name of Jesus all over Africa in a closed country. I done broke the law, not of the USA, but I broke the law there. But what I'm telling you is I was working with the Father and who cares what peasly little humans have got to say about it. Uh, What if we realize that no matter what's going on, the Father's at work? And what if we decided that no matter what he's doing, we're going to do it? And what if we decided to not do it in our own strength, but to be dependent of him? Hold on, here's the fourth one. What if we spent enough time in his presence that we actually knew what he was doing? Hmm? This morning, I had some questions. Lord had some questions. I asked some questions. They come out of my mouth, but I believe the Holy Spirit of God asked those questions this morning. So my question to you, Cornerstone, even those who are listening and watching for now and later, I ask this question to you. What's next? What's next? Do we stay the course of trusting in self and doing what we feel might be right? Or do we press into a place of prayer and know what God is doing? 
and surrender to dependence on him. Will we continue to look at our circumstances and allow them to dictate how we feel and how we worship? Or will we feel and worship knowing that no matter the circumstance, my God is at work? Amen? I believe our answers to these questions will either put us in the will of God or give us the opportunity to make the choice to get out of the will of God. But here's the benefit of getting out of the will of God. There's one. Yeah, at least you know you're lost. I spoke of that quite a bit this week. That's a thing of the Bible belt. We not only have to convince people that Jesus loves them enough to save them, we actually have to spend time teaching people that they're not saved. Because we think because we went to church one time. We think because we know in our head that Jesus is the Son of God. That for some reason we're saved. The original language of Christian is the same derivative of the word where we, dis- we pull out disciple. A student of the word. The Great Commission is not to go and let people choose if there's a Jesus or not. The Great Commission is to go and make students of the Word. And Jesus says, if you love me, then you do what I've told you to do. So as harsh as it may sound, the truth of the matter is, if we're not doers of the Word, then we aren't in love with Him. And if we're not in love with Him, salvation doesn't belong to us. We may have a head knowledge of who He is. We may have a form of godliness. But we do not have the power therein. And the Bible warns us, from such people turn away. If you'll answer those four questions I've asked you today, salvation can be found in those Because salvation does come simply by placing my faith in the finished work of Christ Jesus. Who He is and what He's done. When I I place my faith there, salvation comes. In order to stay saved, there's some maturing to do. In order to stay saved, There's some do's and don'ts. Because James says faith without works is dead. He says even the demons in hell believe. I would like to be a little higher than a devil in hell. He goes on to say, for if you hear the word, but you do not do it, you've deceived yourself. So you can't even get mad at God. You really can't even get mad at the devil. If you hear the word but refuse to be obedient, you are the source of your deception. Ouch. But judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So this morning is not about the preacher beating us up. This morning, I believe the grace of God has been poured out before us to make us honestly review our lives. Talk about mercy that's new every morning. Another chance has been given today to draw a line in the sand, to make resolve in our heart and our being. I'm going to be a doer of the word. I'm going to spend time in His presence to know what He's doing. I choose to be dependent upon Him. I choose to work with Him. And I choose, no matter the circumstance, to know that my Heavenly Father 
is working on my behalf. Thank you so much again for taking time to listen to a message from the sanctuary of Cornerstone Assemblies of God. We do this through the help of our listeners and friends in the community. If you would like to donate to our broadcast, you can go to cornerstoneatlanta.tv and give as the Lord would lead you. But again, I, Pastor Richard Wade of Cornerstone Assemblies of God, just say thank you for taking time, and I pray the Lord make this real to you today.